are now in the last weekend of the first month of the year. It would be interesting to see in this last weekend of the first month of the year how many people have kept their New Year's resolutions all of four weeks, right? One of the most common New Year's resolutions is to get into better shape. One of the most common. And one of the biggest trends in fitness over the last couple of years has been to pay more attention to our core. To pay more attention to our core. It used to be that if you went into a gym, you would find all of these people working on their arms and their legs. That's what you used to see when you go into these, these gyms. Most of the strength training was all about the arms and the legs. And now there's all this new equipment and all kinds of new exercises and spaces that are dedicated to helping us also focus on strengthening our core. Arms and legs still matter. If you don't focus on your arms and legs, you look like this guy over here, right? So arms and legs still matter. But people are discovering that if your back, if your abs, if your lungs, if your heart, if these things aren't strengthened, everything else can start to fall apart. And it doesn't matter how big your arms or your legs are or how toned they are. So many people are paying more attention to core exercises, and many churches are learning that too. Many churches are learning, rediscovering the importance of strengthening our core. This new teaching series that starts today is similar to our last teaching series. This is one of these teaching series where you see it coming up and most people, you're probably thinking, this is not the most exciting thing in the world for us to talk about, right? It's a lot like our our last one. But if we are going to be serious about pursuing our vision as a church to help more people become more like Jesus in authentic community, this is a really important series, really important. All right, well, as we launch this series, I want to quickly give you the backstory for it. We like to begin each year, um, especially the last couple of years, we started doing this, where we said, let's start each year with a series that helps us to start right. And so last year, our Start Right series was on prayer. And we really focused in on the difference that prayer can make in an individual's life. Prayer is as core a practice as you're going to find when it comes to personal faith. But here's what happened is 2018 began to unfold. The deeper we got into 2018, the more I got convicted that prayer isn't just something that can strengthen us as individuals. Prayer is something we need to focus on as a church. How do we do prayer well as a community of faith? And this conviction grew even deeper in our Acts series. Um, Many of you are here for our Acts series last fall as we're digging into the book of Acts. Prayer was at the center of that movement in the book of Acts. Here's an example from the opening chapter of the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1, we read in verse 14, all of these people, all, were, though, all of those with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. One of the distinguishing marks of the early church was how they did community. And one of the distinguishing marks of that community was how they prayed together. If you've ever attended one of our Explore membership classes, you've heard our stories. ECC was born out of prayer. Born out of it. And we've always been at our best when we've been seeking God together. And as we've grown, I have been convicted. How do we do a better job of this together? How do we become that house of prayer that we read about in the Gospels? Matthew 21, Mark 11, Luke 19. How do we regularly 
pray for those who are sick together. The way we see in in James chapter 5. How do we seek the Lord together? What does that even mean? Like we see in the book of Acts. Well, as I was sharing these convictions with the rest of the teaching team, one of the things that came up is that prayer is one of several core practices that we see the early church doing together. Here's an example of that, also from the book of Acts. Just go to chapter 2. Chapter 2, condensed version of verses 42 through 44. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. And all who believed were together and they had all things in common. There's a lot of ands. A lot of ands. They gathered together to pray and they read the scriptures together and they sang songs and hymns together and they pooled the resources together and they did life together and they participated in the sacraments of baptism and communion together and they confessed their sins to one another and they fasted together. And there was a rhythm to this. There's a rhythm to this. Here's an example of that. Just keep going through Acts, Acts chapter 3. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. They had rhythms built into their lives. There were times for different things. And as today's teaching unfolds, we're going to see that there were some things that God's people did every day. There were some things that they did every week. There were some things they did once a year. We're even going to see there was this one thing they were supposed to do every seven years. And these weren't just empty rituals that they did. These weren't just empty practices. There was life that they found as they did these things. In fact, if we had time to read all of chapter 3 today, we would see in Acts chapter 3 that God gave these individuals specific words as they were going to do that thing that they did every day at that time. He gave them words and insights that sounded a lot like Jesus. And then God's healing power flowed through them as it had flowed through Jesus. And then they found themselves even arrested by some of the same powerful people that arrested Jesus. And when they were released, what did they do? They huddled back up and they prayed. They prayed for boldness. And look what happened next. Acts chapter 4, verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathering together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. And I I find it striking that here we are, just four chapters into Acts. And already we have these Four examples of the people coming together to practice core things. This community of believers was continually coming together. And it's interesting, the other thing that popped at me in this, um, in this, verse, this verse right here is how the Holy Spirit had already been poured out on the church in Acts 2. And yet there's this language of a filling, a filling that happens again in chapter 4. Jesus had taught his disciples where two or more are gathered in his name, he'd be there. And we've seen that he was. This is a series about experiencing more of that in our time. Wouldn't you like to experience more of that in our time? We really feel the presence of God working in and through us. And the words that Jesus had are coming to us. And the things that Jesus did were happening through us. We want to experience more of that. 
In fact, that's why we put this quote that I just put on the screens up at the top of your notes today. We did that on purpose because this isn't just something that was for them then. Our, our invitation as a church is experience God with us. We want to experience more of God's power, his, his presence among us. We want to invite people into that. We would love to see this in our time. Well, one of the things that we're going to do in this series, as we did in the last series, is we're going to draw from both the Old and the New Testaments. So we talked a little bit about the New Testament. Let's open up our Bibles to the Old Testament. If you um, have your Bible with you, please turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 9. That's where we're going to start in the Old Testament. If you don't have a Bible with you, we'd love to send you home with one today. We keep a stack there at that table in the back, and we'd encourage you to grab one on your way out. All right, as we're opening up to Deuteronomy, I want to share just a little bit about this book of the Bible for those who aren't familiar with it. The first five books of the Bible are sometimes called the books of Moses or the Pentateuch. Penta comes from a Greek word meaning five, and tuk, as every child of the 80s knows, is a Canadian word. It comes from Bob Doug McKenzie. It describes a uh, hat, a knit cap, and if anyone tells you differently, tell them to take off A. All right, here we go. Deuteronomy. <clears throat> Deuteronomy comes at a pivotal moment in our sacred history as a people. Genesis, the first book of the Bible, the first of these five books, describes how God created our world. It provides the origin stories for humanity and sin and judgment and those who would later become the nation of Israel. Exodus describes this great deliverance of God's people from slavery in Egypt and the role that Moses played in it. And then Leviticus and Numbers are filled with instructions that God gave his people. Then comes this book, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy takes place right on the edge of a new era. As God's people were about to enter the promised land, Moses wouldn't be entering the promised land with them. And so he laid out God's vision for his people one last time. And he was urging them. You could just feel the intensity of his language. He is urging them do not forget these lessons that we learn the hard way. Remember these things. Practice these things. We included, included two quotes at the top of your notes this week. We already looked at the first from the book of Acts. Here's the second now. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 9. Moses says, only take care and keep your soul diligently lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and to your children's children. Deuteronomy is filled. It is filled with reminders of who God is and who we are and what God has done. Deuteronomy is also filled with examples of the kinds of core exercises that can strengthen our community. Core exercises like remembering the Ten Commandments. Why have so many, if you go across denominations, across centuries, why have so many of the creeds and the liturgies and the different things that we've developed, why do so many of them bring us back to the Ten Commandments? You know, why do we, why do we elevate these ten above some of the other Old Testament instructions and codes? I would argue that that comes from a careful study of the Scriptures. If we just keep reading, one of the things that popped to me as I was rereading Deuteronomy 4 was this. Moses himself seems to highlight these words from God. Deuteronomy 4, 13 says this. And he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform. That is the Ten Commandments. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone. 
this is interesting. I didn't know this. The literal translation of the Ten Commandments is the Ten Words. Ten Words. I wish that's how they had taught that to me. These aren't just like commandments. There's so much baggage with that term, isn't there? These are the ten words. These are the words of God. These are words of life for us. Just as Moses repeated the ten words in Deuteronomy 5, if you just keep reading from 4, you come to 5, you see that the ten commandments are there. He's already given them to the people. He did it way back in Exodus chapter 20. He is intentionally re-reciting these words. There are some things that we should repeat regularly. It is good for us to sometimes repeat things regularly. New is not always improved. Can I get an amen? Amen. New is not always improved, especially if you neglect hard-won wisdom from the past. All right, let's jump ahead to verses 23 through 24. This is still in Deuteronomy chapter 4. Let's look at 23, 24. He says, take care, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you. And then go make a carved image, the form of anything that the Lord your God has forbidden you. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, is a jealous God. There are countless warnings in the Old Testament. Countless warnings from a host of prophetic, prophetic voices in addition to Moses. They are warning us against the dangers of elevating certain things in our lives higher than we should, and in doing so, failing to practice that which matters most. The Bible calls that idolatry. Idolatry. All right, let's jump ahead. We're going to read verses 32 through 40. Here we go. Four, ask now of the days that are past, which were before you, since the day that God created man on earth, And ask from one end of heaven to the other whether such a great thing has ever happened or is ever heard of or was ever heard of. Did any people ever hear the voice of a God speaking out of the midst of a fire as you have heard and still live? Or has any God ever attempted to go and take a nation for himself from the midst of another nation by trials, by signs, by wonders, and by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm? And by the great deeds of terror, all of which the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes. To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord is God. There is no other beside him. Out of heaven he let you hear his voice. That he might discipline you. And on earth he let you see his great fire. And you heard his words out of the midst of the fire. And because he loved your fathers and chose their offspring after them, he brought you out of Egypt by his own, with his own presence, by his great power, driving out before you nations greater, mightier than yourselves to bring you in, to give you their land for an inheritance as it is this day. Know therefore today and lay it to your heart that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. There is no other. Therefore, you shall keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you today, that it may go well with you and your children after you, that it may prolong your days in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for all time. Moses is making a case here. He's saying God is not just one of many gods. There is no other. There is none like him. He's making the case that the God of Israel has no rivals. How do we remember this? And how do we live in light of this reality? Deuteronomy points us to core practices. 
Let's fast forward to Deuteronomy 31, verses 9 through 11. Deuteronomy 31, 9 through 11 says this, Then Moses wrote this law, and he gave it to the priests, the sons of Levi, who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, and to all the elders of Israel. And Moses commanded them. He <laughs> just strikes me. He cc'd everybody on this. This was cc all, right? I want to make sure that this gets out. Moses commanded them at the end of every seven years, at the set time in the year of release, the Feast of Booths, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God at the place that he will choose, you shall read this law before all Israel in their hearing. All right, the reason I wanted to highlight this passage is here's another example of the rhythms that we see. We already saw that there was a rhythm that they had in Acts. There was a time for prayer every day. One of the ten words, if we were to read those ten words that were in Exodus 20 and also in Deuteronomy 5, there's, there's one of these words is for a weekly rhythm called the Sabbath. So there were daily rhythms, weekly rhythms. Well, here in this passage, Moses refers to a feast of booths. That was to happen every year. And then Moses also commanding the people to read this law, how often? Every seven years. All right, let's continue reading. Verses 12 through 13, assemble the people, men, women, the little ones, the sojourner within your towns, that they may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God and to be careful to do all the words of this law and that their children who have not known it may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land that you're going over to the Jordan to possess. I mean, this is one of the burdens that I feel as this church. Like, what are the things you want to make sure we pass along? We can't pass along every song that we sang growing up, but which are the ones that we should, right? What we see here, there are some core practices that are everyone together things, right? Everyone together. As a church, we're doing our best then to try to discern what are the core practices that we should be doing together, are there some things that we should do together every day? What are the things we should do every week? What are the things we should do once a month? What are the things we should do every year? Are there things that we should do every seven years? We're trying to discern that. And as we're discerning, the other thing for us to discern, the other layer here, is what groupings should our togethers be? What are the things that we call everyone to do together? What are the things that small churches should do together? What are the things that teens should do together? Kids should do together. Men should do together. Women should do together. What even should our togethers be for different things? What should just be a small group of trusted friends? If you're a note taker and if you're wondering if we're ever going to get to the first set of blanks, uh, we are. <laughs> Your weight is over and they're not paced equally, so don't worry. The message won't be 30, you know, 50 minutes long. I want to encourage everyone to write this down. Scripture Scripture casts a vision for a community that's like a body and a building. Scripture casts a vision for a community, and it uses imagery of a body and a building. Let's take just a moment to focus on each of these three words, starting with the word scripture. What we are advocating for here today is to have a scripture-based rhythm, to really go to the scriptures and be attentive to those things. There are all kinds of new models and new ideas that come our way. And so many of them sound good, but not all of them are good. And anytime a new idea comes that drifts significantly from the core of Scripture, just be aware of that. And be attuned to that. The other two words that were highlighted in your notes here in this, this talk point are the words body and building. <coughs> 
And as we were putting this message together, this series together, conventional wisdom would say, pick one or the other. And so I was torn because I'm like, boy, they're both so good. And then I had a blinding flash of the obvious. Of course they are. And of course it's hard to let go of one or the other because you take a book like 1 Corinthians, which is the very next book that we're going to study, and they're both in that same letter. You see the body imagery there in 1 Corinthians. That's there in 1 Corinthians 12. You see the building imagery in 1 Corinthians, and it's in 1 Corinthians 3. So you're going to hear a switch between these two metaphors as well. And really a quick story here as we're roughing out the series. One of my placeholder titles for this message was bodybuilding with a hyphen. Bodybuilding with a hyphen. And I want to thank those of you who pray regularly for this message because I didn't know that that was going to come into play as much as it did. If you look at your top of your notes today, I took out the hyphen because body and building were both things that we were meant to talk about. So again, thanks for praying. That's one of those core practices and it makes a difference. The, the, the act of praying makes our messages more than just something we've prepared diligently it activates the Holy Spirit in all these ways that we don't even see. So thank you. Thank you for that. All right, let's turn an important corner. I want to encourage you to write this down in your notes as well. Bodies and buildings begin to fall apart if we neglect our core. Both bodies and buildings begin to fall apart if we neglect our core. It's so important to use the metaphors that God gives us because they're so rich. When I first started going to the fitness centers in the 80s, most guys, again, they were focusing just on their arms and just on their legs. And the women were way ahead of us because they were doing these exercises. Back in the day, they used to just call them all aerobics, right? They would do these more holistic exercises. And so in college, we had to take this fitness course, this 101 fitness course at Bethel. And all the guys, we hated it. And we even mocked it, those of us who were in varsity athletics. And there was one day where our instructor, who happened to be into this new thing called aerobics, she brought us all into the gym. So I'm sitting way in the back with some guys from the track team and some of the football players. And one of my knucklehead buddies, he had to go and make a disparaging remark about aerobics. She killed us. And she made us realize we were not as strong as we thought we were. So we went down on the ground when that knucklehead said what he said. We spent 30 minutes on abs and we were dying. I mean, all of us, we were just screaming for mercy from our instructor. You know, she had us realize we weren't as tough as we thought we were. There were parts of our body that were just aching the next day that we didn't even think about. And again, today, if you go to most gyms, there's all kinds of equipment that is dedicated. It is dedicated to help you strengthen your core. It used to be that way in most churches. There used to be equipment that was dedicated to strengthening our core, especially in Minnesota where there were so many Catholics and so many Lutherans. Because Catholics and Lutherans, we had, this, we had these tools called hymnals. And at the time, I didn't appreciate this tool at all because it felt like it was just old and out of date and all these kind of things. But I just started making, the last couple of days, I just started making just a, a short list of some of the things that this tool can help us with. This piece of equipment brought us through the Bible once every three years, the old and the new. This piece of equipment taught us Bible-based prayers. We didn't even know we were reciting scripture as we were reciting these things. Bible-based prayers that were used to offer ourselves and our gifts. 
that would, we could use to confess our sins and bless one another and share God's peace with one another and offer up intercession for ourselves, for our friends, for our neighbors, for our world. This tool contained ancient creeds that provided guardrails for our theology that could help us if we started to drift too far to bring us back. This, song, this t- tool contained songs that had stood the test of time. Well, many of them, not all of them. Some did not age well. Um, this tool also engaged us as a congregation. Instead of just coming and, and watching the pros do their thing, we were engaged through this tool. And this tool also united us across denominational lines by teaching us all things like the Lord's Prayer, which then when we could gather with other churches, we could all say together. It united us, it strengthened us in ways that most of us did not appreciate at the time. And, and one of the problems with that tool is the day you publish it, it is now out of date, isn't it? The day you publish it, it is now out of date. Because there are new songs, and there's new challenges, and there's all kinds of new things that we need to respond to. When a church only focuses on their core, church life and the rest of life can all of a sudden seem disconnected. Because you have this out-of-date publication that cannot meet the newest needs all the way it can if you have the core and. There was a pent-up hunger for relevancy in church-going people. And the churches that did the best job, especially in the 80s, the 90s, the churches that did the best job of feeding that hunger by adding modern songs and felt-need teaching, they began to grow. New songs and topical teaching, they are like arms and legs, which are very important, right? To be clear, to be clear, this series is not about deconstructing, deconstructing the importance of music and messages. Let me be clear on that. They are very, very important. The point is, if we put all of our focus when we gather together on music and messages and we neglect our core, it's really easy to drift. In an age when music and messages have never been delivered with more intentionality and excellence, we are seeing remarkably little life transformation. Can I get an amen to that? We've, we've never been better, just churches across the nation, we've never been better with, with being more intentional about our music and messages, and yet you could make a case that we're weaker in many ways, than we once were. If you want to see some great, uh, a great place, you want to go to a great place, you can see stats about the Twin Cities, churchfacts.com. Go to churchfacts.com. It's a resource that focuses just on the churches in the Twin Cities. Not only is church attendance down in the Twin Cities, many of us are concerned that a lot of people who are attending aren't growing. They are attending, but they aren't growing. And that brings us to that second metaphor, that metaphor of a building. When our teaching team met, we were talking about possible graphics and images that we could use. Dan was the one who said, you know, we should consider using the wailing wall as one of our images. The wailing wall. That is a powerful image. The wailing wall is about all that's still intact from an amazing temple complex that once stood in Jerusalem. That temple was a magnificent building designed by God himself, at least the original one. 
And it was a place where people were meant to experience God's presence and receive his guidance. But by the time of Jesus, the building looked great, but the Holy Spirit had left it long ago. And it wasn't long before the building itself would mirror the emptiness of a congregation that had lost their way. Just as you're going to have trouble with a building if you don't get the foundation right or the framing right or the wiring right or the plumbing right or the roof right, a church will never become the kind of church that Jesus envisioned if we're not attentive to our core. So what if? What if we took these lessons that we've learned over the last four decades about relevancy in our music and messages, and then we took that same passion and intensity and also looked at those practices that were at the core. There's a place to write this in your notes. Bodies and buildings are revitalized, revitalized when we strengthen our core. Now, I'm not sure if you've ever done this before, but on the back of today's notes, we actually listed the wins for this series. Here they are. Here are the wins. You know, we're trying as a teaching team to be able to go and say, let's define our wins going into each series. And here they are. Here's, this would be a win if we could accomplish these things over the next five weeks. In a culture that's so personalized and so polarized, let's press into the value of corporate confession and forgiveness, of corporate litanies and creeds, of corporate prayer for vision and provision, for corporate prayer for healing, for corporate fasting. And let's challenge false cultural narratives, such as the narrative that authentic faith is just about me and Jesus, or the the narrative that authenticity and liturgy are incompatible, or the false narrative that community building can only happen in smaller groups, or the false narrative that great music and relevant messages are the two things that, quote, really matter when it comes to Sunday services. And number three, let's step up our intentionality when it comes to praying together. Let's be more intentional than ever before about when we're meeting with our teams here of praying together, when we're meeting in our small churches of really praying together. And then corporately, how do we become more intentional about our prayer when we gather here? And should we have other events in addition to this where we call the church together to pray? And then specifically, how do we pray better as a church for individuals with the kind of prayer we see in James chapter 5. And then number four, we're going to identify a specific corporate fasting during Lent this year. We're looking forward to that. So there's some of our wins for this series. And here's our invitation for you as the series begins. We invite you to focus on the fundamentals of the authentic Christian community with us. Fundamentals aren't always fun, are they? They're not always fun, but they are foundational are foundational. And God honors the practices that he taught us to practice. Well, before we close, let's go quickly back to Deuteronomy. We're going to look at Deuteronomy 32 really quickly here. This is in portions of a poetic song that Moses and Joshua recited to the people before Moses passed his leadership baton to Joshua and went away to join those who had carried the baton before him. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses 15 through 16 says this. But Jeshurun grew fat and kicked You grew fat, stout, and sleek. Then he forsook God who made him and scoffed at the rock of his salvation. They stirred him to jealousy with strange gods and abominations. With abominations, they 
provoked him to anger. This isn't the first time we've seen the word jealousy today. And in this context, jealousy is a beautiful thing. God's jealousy is not petty. The jealousy language we see here is a, a language of love. This comes from a God who is deeply committed to this relationship. His, his love and devotion for us is what's represented here. And it flows from a concern for us when we choose to chase after others who don't have our best interests in mind and lead us to places we don't want to end up. That name Jeshurun, it appears almost nowhere else. If you're not familiar with that term, welcome to the club. It appears almost nowhere else. As far as I know, it only appears here in Deuteronomy and one other place in the whole Bible. It is a poetic name for Israel. It appears to have been formed from the same root. It means beloved. It means upright one. If God didn't care, he wouldn't be jealous. If God didn't care, he wouldn't warn. In just about every way possible throughout history, he warns his beloved those who are called to be upright ones, he warns us not to forget who he is and what he's done and the life that we are invited into. I came across this great quote about forgetting this week. It says this, forgetting belongs to the heart as well as the mind. That one gets deeper and richer the more I reflect on it. Forgetting belongs to the heart and not just the mind. And to his beloved, to his beloved, God says this in verse 15. They sacrificed to demons that were no gods, to gods that they had never known, to new gods that had come recently, whom your fathers had never dreaded. You who were unmindful of the rock that bore you and, and you forgot the God who gave you birth. This word translated as demon is another one that, that, that is rare. It doesn't translate well into English. It, it's a word that only appears in one other place of the Bible, in Psalm 106, 37, where it says that people sacrifice their children to these shidus, is the word shidus. Shidus were a type of spirit guardian that Israel's neighbors trusted in. Isn't that powerful? Let us not sacrifice future generations to the gods of this age by just falling into the traps of everyone around us and having our church services conform to the patterns of this world rather than us being a transformational community. Let's learn from the one who gave us our name as a church and led us to this community center and has revealed core practices that can make us stronger. There is none like him. Deuteronomy 33, 26 says this, There is none like God, O Jeshurun, who rides through the heavens to your help, through the skies in his majesty. One of the core practices that we learn from the New Testament is to preach the gospel rather than teach the law. Simply teach the law. To recall what God has already done in Christ rather than just leaving people with a bunch of do's. Three verses later we find this that relates to that. In verse 29, happy are you, O Israel, who is like you, a people who are saved by our own efforts. Is that what it says? No, it says by the Lord. By the Lord. There is a God who saves. He sent his son, Jesus, 
the translation of the name Jesus is, our Lord saves. Our Lord saves. Jesus is the head of this body that we're going to be looking at for the next several weeks. He is the foundation. He is the cornerstone of this church. So let's invite his presence as we dedicate this time, this series to him, and we close with a, a great song that, that bridges the old and the new. Let's, let's pray. Father, thank you that it is not up to us to save ourselves. Thank you that you made a way through your son, Jesus Christ. And Father, as we begin this series, as we launch this series, Father, we pray for your spirit to come upon us, the spirit of your son, Jesus Christ, the one who lived these things out perfectly, the one who not only our example was set, but Father, he is the one whose presence we can experience ourselves. We ask that we would receive him once again, fresh and new, Father. Make our minds like his, make our hearts like his, and help us to become stronger as a community. In Jesus' name, amen.